Hey, it's so good to be with you guys today. Thank you for coming out on Father's Day. It'll take me just a while now to get back in the groove, you know. Uh, Jamal tried to help me out. I couldn't get that, you know, Jeremy, I have to confess, I said in first service, I couldn't get that thing after you wore it last week to fit right. I said, I think Jeremy's got fat ears, you know. So I'm just telling you what happened. But anyway, so no matter how hard I tried, I couldn't get it, you know, to stay on my ear. And so Jamal was kind enough to go to the mall. Go to the mall. <laughs> Jamal went to the mall. No, he went to the sanctuary and got the other microphone, but apparently does not happy either. So anyway, so we'll do the TV evangelist thing with the handheld mic and make sure I'll, I'll try to do a good job. But we really are just so great and glad that you are here. You know, folks have asked, how was the convention? Long, long. We, uh, I was a good boy. I think I went to every session, which meant I got there about eight o'clock in the morning, got home about eight thirty at night and, uh, but heard some great preaching, some great worship. We sang that song. Did y'all kind of realize that, 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 that song that I speak Jesus sounded a little familiar? Well, that's because you sang it last week. You know, I know brother Jeremy talked about, um, Peter and John going into the temple and saw the crippled guy and said, silver and gold I don't have, but such as I have, I give you in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And that was such an appropriate song. Well, we're sitting there worshiping and uh, did not know that y'all sang that last week. And so we're sitting there worshiping in the, in the convention, really enjoying it. And this song came up. And when I saw that line where it said, I speak Jesus over my family, it just instantly just resonated with me. So I pulled my phone out in the middle of worship and text Trey and said, hey, can we sing this next week at Dorisville? And he goes, we already sang it. And I said, you think we could sing it again? And I'm so glad you did, because as I read the words about speaking Jesus into the darkness, more and more I realized just how appropriate that song was for last week and for this week. And that's what we want to talk about. We want to talk about um, leading our families and what could be considered these very challenging times. Now, our series, do you remember, is entitled Family Matters Do Matter. And every week we've preached a sermon that in the sermon title had the word matter. And this week is lead like it matters. And that didn't come from me. Um, a while back, a friend gave me a book entitled Lead Like It Matters by Greg Rochelle, talking about the seven principles of church leadership. Um, and so I said, you know, that is a great title for a book. But better than that, it makes a great title for a sermon on Father's Day today. And so we want to talk about leading like it matters. Now, I'm going to do my very best today because I don't want this to be a dad message. Uh, I want it to be a dad mom. I want it to be a single dad, single mom. In fact, I really want it to be for all of us as we look at this, how we can lead, whether wherever we have influence. You know, remember what John Maxwell said? I told you this a long time ago, remember? You know, leadership, plain and simple, is influence. Leadership, plain and simple. So where we have influence, whether it be at school, hey, students, whether it be at school where you've got influence there or on the job uh, where you work, you've got influence there, lead like it matters, okay? Now, now I, I'll be honest with you. You won't find a better example for leadership, living and loving, really, leadership than Jesus Christ. Now, I need to tell you, I bought into the Jesus thing a long time ago. Um, I, I, I do the, I believe in, you know, Christmas and I believe in Easter and I believe in everything before Christmas and I believe in everything after Easter. I'm all in 100%. I'm a Jesus guy. I believe Jesus was what he said he was. He did what he said he could do and he's going to do what he said he's going to do in the future. I'm all in with Jesus. And, but just in case you're not, maybe you're here today and, you know, your dad asked you to come to church, or maybe you're coming in memory of your dad. 
You know, your dad's no longer with us. And you say, I know dad won't meet me in church, so I'm going to be there for that, you know. I want to tell you this. Regardless of how you feel about Jesus. Now, you say, I'm not really a, I know Jesus existed, but I'm just, I can't buy the virgin birth thing. I can't buy the he's God thing. I can't buy all that. Well, let me tell you this. Again, you won't find a better example to follow than Jesus Christ. The fact is, whether you buy into all the God stuff part of him, there is no greater leader than Jesus Christ. So let me encourage you, uh, if you're here for the free lunch, okay, if you're here to get your picture made uh, on the motorcycle, whatever it is, don't close your ears off because so much of what you're going to hear today applies whether you really believe in Jesus as who he is. And by the way, I do 100%. And I think I'm not by myself, all right? I want you to know that these are still principles that you can apply to your life. You can apply to being a dad or a mom or a grandmother. So I really hope that you'll hear that and that you will believe that. So, so what's our intro? Intro. Well, we do start out with the parenting thing. And again, you know, I first put dad there because it was dad's day, you know, and I said, no, 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 we're going to put parent. So a parent has no greater responsibility than to protect and provide for their family. Now, those are, are pretty generic statements that you can probably go, yep, I, I get that. I understand that. But here's the crazy deal. You know, back when I was growing up, I know that was a long time ago, but they did have electricity and indoor plumbing, okay? So, so yeah, so, so anyway, so the responsibility to protect. Back then, you know, it consisted of, you know, dad keeping people from breaking into our house or things like that. There really was not all this other stuff going on. But today, when I say you've got no great responsibility to protect your children, that's huge because there's Internet predators this is all this thing with, with child molestation going on. Um, all, all, we live in a crazy world, folks. And so you have got a big responsibility to watch out for your family in this crazy world. And that includes mamas, and that includes daddies and grandparents. Okay, it's all of us working together to protect our families from all that is out in this crazy world that we live in. And then we do need to provide, and, and again, there's a verse that says, if you don't provide for your family, you're worse than an infidel. And that just sounded like a big guilt trip to me, so I didn't want to use that today. But here's the deal. You know, you don't, when I say provide for your family, when God's Word says provide, He's not talking about your kids that got to wear the best labels, you know, they have to have the straightest teeth, they get to have the nicest car. None of that. You know, providing for your family, I'm old school and I admit that. You know, providing for your family is making sure they have, you know, clothes to wear and a place to lay their heads down and food to eat. So that's a great responsibility that is ours. But then it goes further. Just in case, just in case, now now lay aside, if you're not a Jesus person, lay that aside just for a moment, okay? Because I want to talk to the Jesus people, okay? So if you're here today and you're a Jesus guy or a Jesus gal um, or you're a Jesus student, okay? You know, if you do believe in the Jesus thing, which again, I do, okay? There's no greater calling and privilege than leading them to living faith in Jesus Christ, okay? So the biggest responsibility you have, yeah, you've got to provide for and protect your family, but there's no greater privilege, okay, than lead your people, uh, your, your family, in, in the faith that you have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, you, know, you know, someone said uh, that, that faith is as much caught as taught. So it's important that if you are a Jesus person, that you lay your Jesus out there and let your kids and your family see it, okay? But keep in mind, it's not enough to talk about it. They need to, they need to see it in your life. 
So it's as much caught as it is taught. That's very, very, very um, important, all right? So there's no greater calling and privilege than leading them to a living faith in Jesus Christ. Now, D.L. Moody, and I quoted D.L. Moody not too long. Actually, I quote him a lot. Uh, D.L. Moody, because I really think it's a cool story, and I want to give you just a little bit of his story. Because, see, some of y'all are sitting here today, and, and you may be a Jesus person like I've talked about, or you may not, and you go, Yo, you don't know my story, Duane. You don't know my story. You see, my story's difficult. I was uh, raised in a, a single-parent home. Uh, we didn't have anything. Uh, Mom and Dad had a horrible divorce. My dad died when I was seven. Mom died when I was seven. We were homeless for a while. And you say, you, you just don't know my story. Well, D.L. Moody had a really interesting story. Of course, it's way back in like, like 18 zillion years ago, okay? Um, but the bottom line is, you know, he was four years old. He had nine brothers and sisters, including himself, okay? And when he was four years old, um, his, his, his dad died, okay? And mom, his mom was left as a single mom to raise these nine kids, Okay? And so she did the very best she could. Remember, there's no Social Security. There's no government programs, no food stamps, no nothing. I mean, she was on her own. And so anyway, so the best they could give him was a fifth grade. Somebody say fifth grade. Yeah, fifth grade education. That's all he would ever have. And so when he was about 17, he got a little bit bored living on the farm. And so he went to work for his uncle at a shoe store. Now, you remember this at all? Okay, shoe store, and when he was 17 years old, and here's the deal. I didn't know this part until this morning when I was refreshing the story. Um, the deal was his uncle said, all right, son, if you're going to work at my store, you're going to go to church. You know, somebody said, at the, somebody said at the convention, it's an old joke, but I bet somebody still laughs, you know. He said, when I was, when I was 17, I had a drug problem. My mama drugged me to church. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. Yeah. So anyway, so yeah. And so, so yeah, son, if you're going to work in my store, you're going to go to church. And so he started going to church and the Sunday school teacher came at the store and shared with him about Jesus and D.L. Moody got saved. And so at 18, he moves to Chicago and starts preaching. Okay. And starts eventually the uh, Moody Memorial Church. And again, with a fifth grade education. And this guy was the Billy Graham of his day, preached to thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, even over a million people way back in those early days of, of the 19th century. It's really just amazing. Well, that's the guy. That's the guy. And here's what he said. A parent ought to live so that everybody knows they are a Christian. No, that, and that's right. I mean, you know, People should know that if you're a Jesus person, they should know you're a Jesus person, not because you wear a button or a bumper sticker, but because of the way you live. But then he goes on and says this, and most of all, their family ought to know. Their family ought to know. You know, over the last 23 years that I've been here as your pastor, I've preached literally well over a couple thousand sermons um, over, those, over those 22, 23 years. But here's the deal. You probably don't remember hardly any of them. I don't either, so it's okay. You know, it's fine. Okay, but guess what? There's one sermon that your kids will never forget. And that's the sermon you preach with your life every day. That's the sermon you preach with your life every day. They won't remember what I say, but they definitely remember what you say with your life. So most of all, you know, your family ought to know that you are a Jesus follower. Okay, now, we're going to look at two things today, and, and they're really not that big, uh, but they're, they are big. 
but they're not very long. First off, I want to talk to you about being a story writer. You know, as y'all know, um, I do a blog five days a week. Uh, some are fresh stories and some are reruns. That's a combination. And uh, I write short stories with big truth. It's called Grits with Grace. Gritswithgrace.com. Okay? And so, yeah, so if you need a devotion thought, you might want to see what Dwayne's got in his head. You might want to go and do that. So, so I'm a storyteller. Okay? I'm a story writer. And the first thing I want to talk about today is that we are all story writers. We're writing a story. And then later on, part two is the big part, the big story, the big point, is we're boat builders. We're boat builders. So we're going to talk about every person, really, I was going to say parent, but every person is a, is a story writer, but we're also boat builders, boat builders. All right, so let's look at, let's like first one. Every parent is writing a story, okay? So as you live your life, Okay, you are writing stories with your life. Now, here's the big question. The question is, are you writing one that will one day be an embarrassment or an encouragement? Which one is it? I promise you, I've got things, I've got stories that I've written, and I don't mean the blog either. I mean in my life that I'm glad you don't know because you probably won't want, you, won't want me to be your pastor, okay? But I also know this, that, that I've got some stories that are going to be an encouragement. Okay, and so here's the deal. Here's the deal. So one day, one day the last heartbeat comes. Okay, I'm not trying to be morbid here, but one day you're going to die. Okay, and they're going to go to one of the local funeral homes. They're going to give them lots of money, and they're going to have this nice memorial service for you. Okay, and then if it's Dorisville, all right, they're going to do a dinner for you. Okay, so they're going to bring you back here, and then you're going to choose white meat or dark meat, okay, drumstick and thigh or breast meat. You're going to choose that. And then the most important thing of all, you're going to choose what dessert you want, okay? All right, so, so just think, an hour after you say goodbye to your loved one at the graveside, they're choosing what chicken and what dessert they want. That's just the way it works, okay? And so then, and then guess what's going to happen? They're going to sit down at the tables, and they're going to tell stories, and a lot of the stories are going to be about you. And, and they're going to tell stories about some of them. You're going to say, oh, I wish they wouldn't have told that story because it's embarrassing. Embarrassing. Hey, do you remember when dad or mom did this? Okay. You don't get a choice because you won't be there, but they're going to tell the stories. And, but some of them are going to be real encouragements. Real encouragements. I recently uh, had the funeral service for Nick Hefner. And, um, wow, what they said at the funeral and what they said around the dinner tables were just amazing around Nick. So my question is this. What kind of stories do you want told at your funeral dinner? Okay? What kind of stories do you want told? You determine that by the way you live. What do you want? Okay? What do you want your kids to say? What do you want your wife or husband, your spouse, to say at the funeral dinner about you? about you. Okay? Now, Noah was writing a story. And and he was writing a story in a very very difficult time, okay? So, we want to take a moment now starting in Genesis chapter 6 verse 5 and 6, and I guess I would suppose that if there were ever bad old days, these would be the bad old days, all right? Um they lived in a culture that was totally gone south. Totally gone south. Well, look at the scripture. It says it all. 
says, the Lord observed, so, so the Lord was looking down, okay, on the earth. The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth. So he's looking down, and he's going, whoa, wow, okay? And he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. So as God looked down from heaven and he saw what the, all the, I guess you call it the fruit of the Garden of Eden, their bad decision there, how sin had multiplied. He looks down and goes, wow, everything these people are doing or thinking is consistently and totally evil. How crazy, how sad was that? And see, here's, you know, the, the deal is this, is that as we do that, okay, as we look at that, we've got to understand that's where we are. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I know we get discouraged about the culture um, today. Um, the Roman culture that Paul wrote about in Romans chapter 12 was a lot worse um, than the culture we have now. But the bottom line is our culture is difficult. Now, now here's something you, you, people my age and a little bit younger than me need to understand because you get frustrated because your millennial son or daughter, okay, says... You know, I don't, I, don't, I don't know what the big deal is. You know, what's the big deal? And then you go down to Gen Z, and they go, well, I don't understand what the big deal is either. And we're all going, you know, with the people with white hair. And we're going, what do you mean you don't understand what the big deal is? Well, I'll tell you what the big deal is. The big deal is a sin, okay? But here is the deal we've got to understand is that for a person who was 10 years old, go back, go back to where they were 10. I say they're 25 now and they're 10. Go back 15 years. They grew up with this. They grew up with this crazy culture. They, they grew up with, with things that just freak us out today. And we're going, I don't understand what the deal is. And the reason I understand what the deal is is because they grew up with it. We didn't. We didn't. But the bottom line is this. God calls sin, sin. And that's what we've got. That's the message we've got to preach. Not that, well, my generation. Okay, it's not that. Listen, it's not a generational thing. It's a Word of God thing. It's a Word of God thing. And this crazy culture we've got, okay, the best thing we can do is take it to the Word of God and see what the Word of God says about a particular topic. It really doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter what I say. But it definitely matters what God said. Well, God looked down from this and he saw a mess. He saw a mess. In Bible verse 7, verse number 6, So the Lord was sorry he was repentant of the fact he had ever made them and put them on the earth. And I love this last uh, from the New Living Translation. It broke his heart. It broke his heart. And honestly, I believe it breaks God's heart today. As we are seeing, you know, if you go to France, you see what we're experiencing. They did it 15 years ago. You go to England, they see what we're experiencing. Yeah, they did it 15 years ago. America held on for a while longer, but we're experiencing a very dark and twisted culture. In fact, we're experiencing um, Judges in chapter 21. You know, it's the last chapter there. And here's what it says. There was no king in Israel. And the people did whatever seemed right in their eyes. That's where we are. I mean, you couldn't get a better summary. There's no king. Uh, we, we as America, as a nation, have definitely laid aside King Jesus, and people are doing whatever seems right. It's not absolute truth anymore. It's a relative truth. What's true for me is what matters. Well, that's where it was, and that's where it was for them. So what's our teaching point? 
Well, it was the darkest of times. It was the darkest of times. And it wasn't just a splash of evil, but a total eclipse of righteousness. That's what it was. You know, I, what we see today, back in, back, go 30, 40 years back, there were splashes of evil. But now we're almost, gosh, not immune, but, but we're almost not shocked anymore. People pull out guns and shoot people. They shoot kids. You know, and, and it's like it's, it's a new kind of weird, twisted normal. It's really, it's really just crazy. And it's not just a splash here, a splash there. It's a total eclipse of righteousness. You know, way back in August of, of 2017, we had a total eclipse here. Y'all remember that? I remember we took a lunch, lunch, sat in our backyard, and we watched as day became night. We watched as day became night. And we were amazed. I'd seen it eclipse before, but I forgot how crazy cool it was. Well, folks, we have watched, and what we thought might take 15 or 20 or 30 years to occur, the truth is it did not. We watched day turn to night. Day turn to night. And every thought and imagination of every person was evil, except for one person. And this guy's name was Noah. Now, over in Ezekiel 22:30, there's a cool scripture and it says, this is God speaking. He goes, I look for a man to repair the wall. I look for a man to repair the wall and stand in the gap on behalf of the land that I might not destroy it. Okay? But I could not find one. In the case of Noah, he found one. There was one guy that was different. There was one guy that was writing a different story than all the rest. I mean, the whole world is writing this twisted story about life, and there's this one guy named Noah, and we're going to talk about him in just a moment, but there's one guy named Noah who is writing a different story. But my question is this, if God, as God looks down from heaven, is he seeing some people that's different than the culture? And the answer is yes. The answer is yes. I thank God that there are still people who take a stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. Not religion, not church, but with and for the Lord Jesus Christ. He looked for a person and he found the one. Over in Genesis chapter 6 and verse number 9, here we meet Noah. You know, this is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was, three things, Noah was a righteous man the only blameless person living on earth at that time, and he walked in close fellowship with God. Three key points that we see in Noah's life that set him apart. And it's not that he, he went to church every week. It wasn't, that's not what set Noah apart. It's not what should set us apart. You know what should set us apart? Jesus. You know, Jesus' influence in our lives. So, so as, as in this whole world deal going on, Noah was a righteous man. Okay, he was righteous. He lived right. He was a blameless person. When people looked at Noah, they said, you know, I just don't see anything wrong with him. Okay, and they walked in this close fellowship with God. Now, now here's the teaching point. So my question is this. Imagine how easy it would have been for Noah to be like everybody else. In a culture, imagine, imagine you're the only one who believes in God. Imagine you're the only one who, you know, who just stands with God. Okay, and imagine how easy it would have been for him to be like everyone else to do what everybody else was doing. 
Because don't we hear that? Don't, don't your kids say that sometimes? Mom, everybody else is doing it. Dad, hey, I played that game when I was 17 years old. Dad, everybody else is doing it. Okay, so, so we look at that. So it been so easy for Noah to do that, but he chose not to. He knew firsthand the cultural pressure of the day and still said no. I told you earlier, the Roman culture was horrible. I remember, remember, dude, what was that, Pooh, what, what was that Bill guy that was on Fox? What was his name? Bill, Bill O'Reilly, Bill O'Reilly. He wrote all those books about who killed Kennedy, and he did one, who killed Jesus. And uh, Judy bought it for me for Christmas. And because of the historical fact book, fact-based thing, he wrote a lot about the Roman emperors. And you know what? I couldn't read it. I had to put it down. It was so dark and so gross and so twisted, I just couldn't read it. Never did finish it. Sits on my shelf today unread because it was so, so twisted. Well, that's why Paul wrote Romans chapter 12. You know, I beseech you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is a reasonable service. But here's what he says. So don't be conformed by this world. Don't, don't let the pressure of the world conform you. Don't, don't, let the, don't let the world mold you into what they want you to be, but rather be transformed by the renewing of your mind through the Word of God that you may prove what's good and acceptable in the perfect will of God. Parents, I know. Dads, moms, grandparents, everyday Christian. There's a lot of pressure in our culture to be like everybody else. And they put this pressure on you. And Paul would say to us, and Jesus would say to us, don't be pressured to be like them. Have the courage to stand different. And he did. And he knew firsthand the cultural pressure, but he chose to say no. So we get to Genesis chapter 6 and verse number 10. Here's why. Well, this is one reason why. He had three reasons. See, Noah was a dad and a husband, but he was a dad. He had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now, if you don't like your name today, be glad you didn't get named Shem, Ham, or Japheth, okay? You know, I, I don't like Eugene, but, hey, that's what Mom gave me. And so, so, yeah, the three reasons, three of the main reasons why Noah chose to be godly was these three guys. He knew that this world was dark. And the only, ooh, this is good, the only hope for Shem, Ham, and Japheth was a relationship with God. And mom and dad, I want to tell you something. I don't know if you've got one. I don't know if you've got two. I don't know if you've got five. I don't know what you got, but I'm here to tell you the hope for your family in this world, it is not, oh, I like to say this, it's not religion. It is not denominationalism. It's not even church. The answer for your family is God Almighty and His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's the answer. And we've gotten away from that. We think church is the answer. We think religion is the answer. We think denominationalism is the answer. It's not, it's not, it's not. The answer is still Jesus Christ. The answer is still Jesus Christ. So, so Noah had three good reasons to be a godly man. Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And so our teaching point says this. By words and action. Now, now, if you'll notice, 
It says Proverbs 22.6. So what you're going to see in quotes there is Proverbs 22.6. By words and action, not just with your words, but by your words and your action, direct your children, urge your children, gently push your children onto the right path, the right path, okay? Now, now Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the way, the path. I am the way, the truth, and life. You can't come to the Father but by me. So certainly the right path would include a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said in, in, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 13, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who are going to find it, okay? But narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few that find it. So we want to put our children on the right path and make sure that right path is Jesus Christ. Make sure that you are, and you're going to get this next week or two weeks, you know, you know, make sure your relationship with God is evident so they can have a relationship with God. And then their children can have a relationship with God. Make sure, direct your children onto the right path. And, and then, see, most, most of your formation for children take place when they're young. Often the opportunity to receive Jesus Christ as Savior occurs when they're young. Once they get older, it becomes much more difficult to have faith in Jesus. Direct your children to the right path, and when they are older, they will not leave it. Now, that's not a promise, okay? It would be cool if you, if you did that and boom, no. It's a principle. It's a principle, but it's filled with power and potential. It's filled with power and potential. Well, I was studying this morning, and I had one of these epiphany moments, you know. I read this verse, and direct your children onto the right path, and when they are older, they won't leave it. I said, oh, no. There's another truth. Direct your children onto the wrong path. And when they're older... They will not leave it. It's so important, dads, moms, grandparents, influencers, that we put our children, our legacy, onto the right path. Because if we don't put them on the right path, they will end up on the wrong path. And chances are when they get older, they won't leave it. That's why Jesus said, get on that narrow road. Don't get on the broad road. So it's important we put our kids on the right path, okay? Then we get to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7, and it's another story about Noah, a different, different part of the story. Noah, by faith, you, I know, I know, I know, I know, you say, you say, Dwayne, 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 I, I wrestle with faith, I wrestle with faith. Listen, don't. You're a person of faith. You walked in and sat down in a chair believing it would pick you up. You got in your car and you turned the key expecting it to crank. You turned the lights on your house expecting the light bulb to turn on. Um, you took a shower this morning expecting it to be hot and cold water. We live by faith. Don't, don't put God in a non-faith environment because it's God. You know, we all have faith. We live faith. And Noah, by faith, Noah, when he was warned about what was not yet seen, so, so he knew what was coming. You know, we know what's coming. You know, if you read the Bible, it says the payment for sin is death. I mean, what, what comes later is death, okay? By faith, Noah, after he was warned about what was not yet seen and motivated 
by godly fear. When he knew what was coming, when he knew the, the ultimate outcome, he was motivated by godly fear. And what did he do? He built an ark. Point two. We are story writers and we are boat builders. Every parent, Jesus or not, every person is building a boat. And the question becomes, what kind of boat are we going to build? Now, I want you to notice something. He was motivated by godly fear. There's something I didn't, I don't do, I told you I signed off the news now months ago. And, and then I don't do Facebook either. My life is so poor. I just, it just mourns me to think I'm not on Facebook. Not, okay? But anyway, yeah, yeah. So, so anyway, so I was reading, and, and I found out what FOMO is. You know, you know, FOMO. You know, it's like you go to the grocery store, and you get eight eggs, and the, the clerk says, don't you want FOMO? I just thought of that. It wasn't even the first sermon. No, no, FOMO. Let me tell you what FOMO is. FOMO is an acronym, okay? And here's what it means. Um, Fear of missing out. Fear. I say, did anybody know that? Yeah, see, there's some people. Yeah, FOMO. FOMO. We're fear of missing out. And let me tell you what. This, This motivates, okay? This motivates people, the FOMO, motivates people into boat building, okay? It motivates you, you know? You know, in the case of Noah, you know, that godly fear, okay, was something he didn't want to miss out on God. But when it comes to building our boats, it's easy to be, well, FOMO, you know? We're all, we're all building boats. We're all building boats. You know, back when, well, I guess probably when I was in my early 20s and 30s anyway, and maybe 35. I don't, I don't know. But, but, you know, a lot of people were building pleasure craft. You know, that's like the powerboats, you know, the powerboats. You know, pleasure craft. And, and, you know, it, it was really, back then, you know, people, people have always missed church. Okay? They've always missed church. But it was, you know, it was kind of a not real kind. If you went to church, you rarely missed church a lot. You just like, oh, I think we'll go to the lake today. And that was fine. That was fine. You know, or I think we'll go, we'll go to Disney World today. Or we'll go to Holiday World. And that's fine. That's all fine. Okay? It was a once in a while thing that people did. Okay? No harm, no foul. All right? Um, but then what I want you to understand is if you're still building your pleasure craft and your pleasure craft replaces your ark, you're in trouble. The song said it well. Build an ark, head for the open waters. Save your sons and your daughters. Build an ark. So don't let the pleasure craft, the, the thought of it's Sunday, let's go to the lake, become a regular routine for you, and you dismiss the value of church to build an ark of pleasure. Be careful. Be careful. I know, I know, I know. Some people think that church is like out of vogue and stuff. I disagree with you. Not because I need a job. I disagree with you. There's valuable things that happen at church. Well, later on, somewhere along the road, then people started building fishing boats. Fishing boats. Uh, not like you think. Not like you think. These fishing boats were, people were looking for something that would give them pleasure. 
okay? The, the lake thing got old, and so they started building these fishing boats, and they would cast a line looking for something that would add value and purpose to their lives. And that's all good and great and wonderful, unless it becomes your ark. And our, our communities are filled with people. We could knock on a door, you know. Yeah, are you a Christian? Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. You ever go to church? Nah, don't, don't do the church thing. But I am a Christian, okay. Well, well where do you find your, your fellowship and your enrichment and relationship with Christ? Uh, you know, I don't you know. I play golf. You know, I, I go down and play pickleball on Sunday mornings. You know, uh, we, you know, family load up and we go, you know, worship God in nature and stuff. All that's fine as long as it doesn't replace your ark. When it becomes, when, when fishing for other things becomes your ark, you're in deep weeds. Build an ark. Head for the open waters. Save your sons and your daughters. Build an ark. And, and now we have this thing, and, and it's, it's a sports craft. It's a sports craft. And, and I want to be very honest and frank today. This concerns me. There's nothing wrong with sports, but we live in a time now when this thing called traveling teams, when families check out, they take their family out of church for, for not two Sundays and not for two weeks, but for months. Okay, and I am certain part of that motivation is FOMO. I want my kid to have the best. I want my kid. And unfortunately, with traveling teams, the, the games and tournaments are always held on Saturday and Sunday, maybe Friday night, but Saturday and Sunday. And the problem is you can't be two places at one time. And so you're trying to give your kid this great experience, but it costs you time at the God's house. Sports are great. They just make a terrible arc. And look at me. I'm genuinely concerned because... These kids are growing up without any kind of consistent church attendance. And when they're older, they may not come back. Build an ark. Head for the open waters. Save your sons and your daughters. Build an ark. So my question is simple. One, what kind of story are you writing? When... The stories are told at your funeral dinner. What are your kids going to say? What is your wife going to say? What are your friends going to say about the life that you lived? Noah was no doubt. They thought he was crazy probably, but it would have been a great story. Unfortunately, no, they were there to tell it because they all died. Um, but, yeah, it had been a great story. And what kind of boat are you building? Again, please hear me. I'm, I'm, not, a, I'm not against sports or pleasure or fishing. But when it starts replacing your ark or becomes your ark, that's a dangerous thing. Uh, can I close with one more story? I fear I'm old enough for uh, hopefully y'all won't fire me. I went to a pastor's conference. Well, actually, it was a kind of a round, they called it a round table. And there's about 15 to 18 pastors and they all were pastors of churches our size, 200 to 350. Well, it's it about five minutes to four, and we were about done for the day, and there's a question I wanted to ask. So I decided to throw it out there. I said, guys, can I ask you all a question? I said, I know in Harrisburg, there's this thing called traveling teams 
And it really concerns me as pastor because it takes some of our best families out of church for weeks on end. And I just need to know, is it a Harrisburg thing? Is it a Dorsville thing? And you know what they did? They laughed. They laughed. They said, you're kidding me. It's not a Harrisburg thing. It's a national thing. A national thing. That's scary. Because the next generation of kids, the next generation that are going to take over this building, a lot of them are not even here and may not come back. Build an ark. Head for the open water. Save your sons and your daughters. Build an ark. Don't worry about FOMO, the fear of missing out, because God can take care of that. What God offers is better than anything else that the world offers. Build an ark. Would you bow your heads, please? If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, I pray that today might be that day. I hope it was interesting enough for you today to say, you know what, that makes somewhat of sense. It is a crazy world we live in. And I know my family needs something more than what this world can offer. I'll be standing down front. I invite you to come. I invite you to come. I'll be glad to share with you. I've got some friends who will share with you. The altar will be open. You can come and pray. And pray. What kind of story do you want to write? What kind of story do you want told when it comes time for your funeral dinner? Now's the time to write it. Now's the time to write it. And we're all boat builders, aren't we? Build an ark. I love it because it said, Noah built an ark to deliver his family, to save his family. Build an ark. Head for the open waters. Save your sons and your daughters. Build an ark. Father, thank you very much for the privilege of sharing today. Kind of hard, I think, Lord. But would you speak to hearts? Father, we so need this today. Father, I pray for the families that are making difficult decisions, that you'll give them all the wisdom that they need. Help them, Father, to put their children on the right path. There is a way that seems right to a man, but the end is death. Help us to choose the right path. Love you, Jesus, and we pray this in your precious name. Amen.